0: Well, I know this is the moment somebody's been waiting for. <laughs> my last Sunday. So, I'm glad you're here, just to see if it was true, right? Steve, that was a beautiful song, and uh, I was thinking, you know what? We don't even have to continue on with the service after that. It's just wonderful. Thank you so much uh, for that. Now, I do get to say some things. It's my last Sunday here that I wouldn't normally say. Because what are they going to do? <laughs> I got Tim as nervous as he can possibly be right now. So, uh, you know, but I'm going to let it go. You know, I, I see that they tried to, tried to get, out of, get everything out of the way that I could possibly exploit uh, my last Sunday here. You know, if you talk to the sound guys back there, I always had this dream that on my last Sunday here, when Tim would come up to preach, we'd take those spotlights and move them around. And then... <laughs> I 'd get back there in the mic and go, "Ladies and gentlemen, and I, he must have caught wind of it because then he said, "Hey, how would you like to preach the last Sunday here?" So anyhow, that's kind of how that, how that went, so it's not going to work, okay, but it would have been fun, I think. I do want to share some thoughts with you, certainly from the Word of God, and uh, but before I do, I want to just share with each one of you how much you mean to all of us, to me and Pam and all of you mean to us and we're so thankful for uh, all that you've done for us, and especially in last week with the gift and, and that kind of thing. So just I want to make sure you understand that and, and know it's been a real blessing uh, to, to both of us. And uh, you've got to go where God wants you to go. Amen? Amen. I know uh, we talked about this before. The plan was, as if you were here in September, a 10-year plan, which uh, I'd like to say, I'm kind of saying I threw a monkey wrench into, but God actually threw the monkey wrench into the plan. Uh, that we'd just be here and we retire from here And eventually Tim will retire from here And everybody else will just do whatever it is they're going to do But God saw fit to change that sooner than than we thought And I just want to make sure you understand that That never be closed to what God is doing in your life No matter what your plan may be And uh, that hasn't anything to do with my message I'm just sharing that with you here Because, you know we love this church. First Baptist is going to go through some changes here shortly. And uh, Tim was, he does everything such, so much more diplomatic than me. So uh, when you get up there and we talked about the 10-year plan, you guys have all heard about the 10-year plan if you were here. If not, you've heard about it talking with others, you know, that I would be here for a while and I'd probably retire. He'll be here for a little while longer and he retire and, and Holly will retire and Cheryl will retire. And, and just, you know, you guys are going to make some changes. And like I, like I say to the staff, is, and this isn't anything bad, but you guys have been spoiled okay, to have a staff here as long as you've had. And to have a senior pastor here, for which by the time he retires, it'll be like 35 years, right? Well, not all senior pastor, but uh, four, four years as an associate. And then that hardly ever happens anywhere in the United States. And uh, what a blessing you guys have had. But you need to start preparing yourself for change. Because, uh, what's it going to be, seven, eight years? If the Lord doesn't change your heart, that he's going to retire. And you guys are going to be faced with something that you've not been faced with, at least a generation that hasn't been faced with in 30 years, and that is calling another senior pastor. So be praying about that. Prepare yourselves for that. And uh, uh, don't be saying things like, I just never pictured the day you'd leave, Pastor Tim. He's going to leave, one way or the other. Okay? (laughs) So just prepare yourself for that. Okay, The good thing we can remember is God never changes. Isn't that true? Amen to that. So take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Timothy. I want you to turn to two uh, areas of Scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and Ephesians chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and Ephesians chapter 2. And what I want to leave you with this morning is I want to share with you God's loving desire for you. And I want you to think about that as the the last message here. Do you realize that God does have a plan for your life? If anything else that has happened in these 16 years here, I hope that you can realize that you've received from me the fact that God does have a plan for your life. You're just not out there flopping around like a fish out of water. God has a plan for your life. He's not too busy for you, even though we may not always realize it in our lives. Isn't that good to know? He's not too busy for you. And in 1 Timothy, chapter 2, I'm going to read a passage of Scripture here, and then we're going to look at it real quickly. In 1 Timothy, chapter 2, uh, Paul writes, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and for all who are in high positions, that you may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. We're going to stop right there. Here in this passage of Scripture, this passage makes a, uh, should make a difference when we read this on how we see ourselves, how we see God, and how we see life in general. See, there are, Paul says here, there are two desires That God has for you and for me. Look with me in verse 3. Here he's talking about giving prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings. Uh, He says for for people in high positions, kings and and for everyone. And he says in verse 3, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. And then it says this, who desires all people to be saved. Think about that. That's his first desire for you. He desires that all men to be saved. And what's this mean? What's this mean to be saved? Let's take a look at what salvation is. Salvation is God's work of deliverance. That's what it is. It's where God delivers us from eternal death and gives us eternal life. That's a gift from God. Now, why does God desire that you and I be saved? Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever heard about that? Well, I believe the first reason, there are probably many reasons, there's no doubt, but one of them, maybe the first reason, is that it's because He loves us. It is because of love. Now turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. Keep your finger in, in 1 in Timothy chapter 2 and go over to Ephesians chapter 2. I want to read this passage of Scripture for you, and, and we'll look at it real quickly. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20 says, And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, this is talking about all mankind, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But... not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The first reason God desires that you and I to be saved is because of love. And we see it right here in verse 4 and 5. But God being rich in mercy, because of what? Because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. And it says, by grace you have been saved. Think about this. He didn't look in your life and he didn't look in my life and see anything that motivated him to save us. He didn't see any of that. There was no goodness, there was no righteousness in ourselves that would motivate him to save us. But rather, he chose, he chose to save us because he loves us. It is the nature of God to love you. And it is the nature of God to love me. And it is the nature of God to love everyone. There's another reason that we can find here. He desires to save us in order that you and I would be trophies of His grace. Which He can, which he can point to for all eternity to come. Look at verse 6 and 7 in Ephesians chapter 2. Look what He says. He says by, in verse 5, He says, By grace you have been saved. And then He says, And raised us up with Him... And seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? Well, it says right there the little word so. So that in the ages and that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward who? Toward us in Christ Jesus. You see, believers will be on eternal display of the grace of God. Have you ever thought about that? Only we have experienced salvation. Only we have experienced the saving grace of God. Not even the angels can say that. Not even the angels can experience that. Only mankind. God will see us as eternal trophies of grace. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like an eternal trophy of God's grace? Not me very often. There's a third reason. By saving us, He might work the good works. And by so doing, men might see the goodness of God and bring glory to Him. Look at verse 10 here in Ephesians chapter 2. It says right there, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? To do what we please. No. For good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them, you know we are to let our light so shine before man that he will bring all the glory to God. It's one of the reasons He desires all men to be saved. It's very clear in Scripture that that's His desire. In Luke chapter 19, John chapter 3, Bible says He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Bible also tells us He came not to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Folks, listen, this is very important. That is why he came. In 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter tells us there, there's that he's not willing that any should what? Perish. But that all should come to repentance. Folks, God's not up in heaven chalking up points against us. Waiting for us to fail. Hoping we're not going to make it. I know that's an extreme, but sometimes in the back of our minds, that's the way we see life. He desires that all men to be saved. Now, not all will be saved, but that is his desire. Not just some, but all. Not just the rich, but the poor. Not just, the, not just a particular ethnic group, but all ethnic groups. All people, no matter who they are. And when you think about this, if you think about this, he didn't just die for those who, were, who, who, who he would consider good men. At least die for those who we would consider Good man, he died for the wicked and the sinful and vile humanity. He took our place on the cross. He paid our sin debt. And so he so desires for our salvation that he gave the very best that he had to give. I'm glad we sang that song, Jesus Saves. Fits right in. You know, when you think about mankind, it sort of rubs me the wrong way in my flesh a little bit. Maybe it does you, too. When I think of the fact that, that men and women, but basically men who are responsible for such awful crimes against humanity, like, like Hitler or Stalin or, or any of the ones, Manson, any of the ones even more modern-day nasty fellas in our eyes, and they are nasty, probably controlled by Satan. When you think about that, do you, do, you, do you realize this? Do you know that his desire for them was exactly the same as it is for you and for me? I struggle with that. Makes me even more grateful that God loves me. How about you? Folks, we must always remember that old saying. And I know we kind of just shrug it away, but uh, he can't stand the sin, but loves the sinner. And That's so important. You know, if you're here this morning and, and you're one of these people who say, but you don't know what I've done. You know, you may be absolutely right. I don't know. But it's not important that we know. God does. God knows. And you can't do anything that will make him change his desire for you. You can't. God desires that every single one of us be saved. There's a second thing he says here. If you go back to 1 Timothy chapter 2. And look with me in verse 4. In verse 3, he says, This is good and it's pleasing the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved. And to do what? And to come to the knowledge of the truth. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. The knowledge of the truth about what? Well, first of all, the knowledge and the truth about our salvation. What does that mean? You know, there are many people who who make a profession of faith, and before long, you don't see them anymore. that ever happened to anybody here? Not that you're the one they don't see anymore, but you know someone's trusted Christ and you don't see them anymore. This is where you guys got to wake up, Okay? I've seen it happen time and time again. They come, oh, I know Jesus as my Savior. They come to church maybe for two, three, four weeks, maybe. And all of a sudden you just don't see him anymore. Has that ever happened? All right, the two of you. I won't even point those two out. Sometimes maybe they get Baptized. Maybe they, maybe they come to church for a little while. Maybe they, maybe they give a little here and they give a little there. And, and you begin to wonder, what happened to so-and-so? Why don't we see them anymore? What's taken place in their life? Why does this happen? Well, I believe one reason they happen is they get saved and no one instructs them and explains to them what salvation is and what took place in their life. Listen, this passage of Scripture tells us God wants us to understand what He did for us. And it's not just, well, you're on your way to heaven now, that's all you need to know. That is foolish. Some people come to know Christ as Savior, and and we tell them, and maybe not in so many words, but we tell them something like, now that you know Christ, you need to go do the best you can. You need to go live for Him. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean to, to live for Him? I didn't know what it was before I came to know Christ and then I come to know Christ as my Savior, how am I supposed to know what it is now if someone doesn't instruct me, or show me, or share with me, or whatever, help me understand what salvation is, what took place in my life? It's like putting a newborn baby out on the porch and saying, now grow up the best you can. That's exactly what happens to a lot of people, though. And we think about this. When you and I were saved... So many things took place that's absolutely fascinating to think about. Think about this. We've been forgiven of our sins, In Ephesians chapter 4 tells us, and numerous other places. We've been redeemed, we find in Ephesians. We've been reconciled unto God in Second Corinthians. We've been justified, we've been sanctified, we'll be glorified. And the list could go on and on and on and on. So many wonderful things took place. Now, so you understand this. All these things took place in your life the moment you received Jesus Christ as your personal savior. And it's and it's important that you understand this. You don't need to understand it all before you trust Christ, but you need to understand what has happened in your life. And when you understand that, your life will be totally different. I'm so thankful for those who discipled me throughout my life and, and to tell me someone to and tell someone to do the best they can. It's totally unscriptural. I mean, think about this. That's why I was lost. I was doing the best I could. And all I could do was disobey God and sin against Him. Second thing, He wants us to come to the knowledge of the truth about us, who our identity is in Christ. Do you ever think about this? If I, were, if I were to ask you, tell me who you are. Tell me who you are. You might give me your name or... Where you're from, or where you work, or where you go to church, or where you go to school, whatever the case may be. But what is your true identity, now that you're saved? What, if, you, if you know the Lord is your Savior, if you're a child of God, what is your true identity? Well, first of all, the Bible tells us that you're joint heirs with Jesus, in Romans chapter 8. You're joint heirs with Him. Think about this, that in, that, that, that in everything that Jesus owns and possesses, you and I have access to. It's amazing. You know, you don't look too amazed. Think about it. It is amazing. And it's very, we have the very wealth of, of heaven itself if you know Christ as Savior. Here's another thing: the Bible says you're saints. Now, saying to someone who's who's been saved by the grace of God, who has been set apart for the purposes of God, "hagios" is the term in Scripture to that we are we are holy persons, if you will, we are a holy people. We're not now; we may not always act that way, but that's who we are. That's who we are in Christ. There's another. There's a third area. The Bible tells us that we are new creatures in Christ. In Second Corinthians, chapter five. We've been born again of the Spirit of God. Been, we're being conformed into the likeness of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. We are brand new creatures. That's who we are. So if someone says, Who are you? You can say, I'm a brand new creature in Christ. I'm a saint. I've been, I, I, I'm a child of the living God. And then you can give Him your name and address. And so we've been given, He's given us a brand new life. Once we had this physical life, and we were spiritually dead, and now we have the life of Almighty God lives right within us. That's who we are. And that's who we need to tell people we are. Now, you may be here and say, well, I don't feel much like a saint, or I don't feel much like a child of God, or I don't feel much like a follower of Christ. I don't feel like I have his life in me. Folks, listen. Feelings doesn't have anything to do with our identity in Christ. You are who you are in Christ, whether you feel like it or not, because of what Christ has done for you. There's a third area that he wants us to come to the knowledge of the truth, and that is our position in Christ. What kind of position do we have in Christ? Well, first of all, we have access to God. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that. That is instantaneous access to God at any moment. This is, this is a, another one of these amazing things. This is, this is awesome when you think about it. You have immediate access to the sovereign God of the universe, now listen, who has a personal interest in you. I know this is all like, like a real feeling kind of message, but it's true. He has a personal interest in you. The sovereign God of the universe Cares about you. Not just people in the United States, or the people in the state of Michigan, or the people in Clint County, or the people of First Baptist. He has, a, he has an interest in you. You can talk to him. You can ask him things. You can pour your heart out to him. What a tremendous position we have in Christ. The second thing we have is authority with God. That, that, is, we can, that simply means we can have confidence that God will keep His promises. Amen to that? Aren't you glad of that? I wouldn't want to serve a God who said, well, you know, I changed my mind. He keeps His promises. The authority is not granted, understand this, is not granted to us because of our righteousness, like we've already mentioned, or, or our goodness, or our whatever, but by, the, by our position in Christ. Who stands before God on our behalf? You see, when, you see, when I come to when I come to the throne room of God, I am identified as one of the children for whom his son died for. That's the only way. That's the only thing that's important. So you see, that's what that's what all that's how all this runs together. It has nothing to do with my conduct has nothing to do with my behavior, has nothing to do with my performance, has nothing to do with any of that. It has everything to do with, with Christ's behavior, has everything to do with Christ's performance, has everything to do with Christ's crucifixion and His cross. Now, before you go off on saying, and we well, you know Pastor Ron said this on his last Sunday here, that we didn't have to do this or didn't have to do that, understand this. That doesn't mean that I'm not to strive to live a godly life. We are. But my motivation should be to be eternally grateful for God's God's saving grace and Christ's sacrifice on that cross. Not for anything I have done. Or anything that is found in me. Folks, listen. We are sons and daughters of the living God. Amen? Eternally secure. If you know Jesus as your Savior today, that's who you are. And sin doesn't fit us anymore. It, it, it doesn't fit our identity. It doesn't fit our position. And if you know that, and you understand that, and you realize that, and you work on that, think about this. When's the last time you thank God that you don't have to wake up and wonder, if I died today, am I going to heaven or am I going to hell? When's the last time you thank God for that? That you can sleep through the night without worrying about that. You are, you are his child, and listen to this, and you will always be his child. You know, as I close, I just want to share this thought with you. I want you to listen carefully. It is impossible to convince, persuade, excuse, rationalize with God, and to get him to agree with you in any way that once you're saved, it is your life to do with what you please. It's just not true. The Bible tells us in His Word that you are not your own. You've been what? Bought with a price. And that price was the shed blood of Christ. We gave up those rights to ourselves when we trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior. We belong to Him. And the desire of the heart of God is that you and I would be saved... And that we would come to the knowledge of the truth about that salvation and that, and that would just start living out what you know. Folks, that is His loving desire for all of us. Amen? Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, so thankful for Your love, Your grace, Your mercy for us. We're thankful that You never never leave us, You never forsake us, and that Your desire for us is to be with you. Thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for this time together as well. In Jesus' name, amen.